so now we've come to that portion in the program, not this program, but this point in American history where we're all wondering the same thing. What's next? It's been about two weeks of protesting. Things have gone through different stages. There was that raw rage of the first few nights. And then what we've mostly seen since is people peacefully gathering very large numbers, thousands in Philly, New York, L.A., and even in small towns. There have been a lot of protests, some of which were known for being the most unwelcoming to black people. And of course, all over the world, Germany, many other places. So what now? How does this momentum translate into action? Well, one of the ways that many have suggested this momentum be used to instigate some action is by defunding the police. So that's our word of the week. Defund. In all honesty, it's actually a terrible word to use when we're talking about police reform. But let me explain what it means first, and then I'll explain why Democrats and progressives need to actually stop using it. Defunding the police does not mean getting rid of the police entirely. Let me repeat that again. Defunding the police does not mean getting rid of the police. It does not mean people are going to be allowed to rob, shoot, steal, kill from other people at will. What it means is, to borrow a phrase from the wire, more natural police. Do you notice how often the police are called for things that don't involve, you know, actual policing? For example, homelessness. When someone homeless is loitering in front of a store, if they set up a home on someone's property, what do people do? Call the police. Now ask yourself, say self, is homelessness really the police's problem? No, homelessness is not the police's problem. Homelessness is not something that should be criminalized. Why? Because homelessness is the result of poverty, lack of affordable housing, mental health issues and addiction issues. None of that shit has anything to do with the police. So then wouldn't it make more sense to give more money to low income housing, mental health services and treatment centers instead of giving the police additional millions to simply round up homeless people and move them elsewhere, knowing the cycle is just going to continue, right? Ask yourself another question. Say self, should the police have military tanks, military grade weapons and other equipment? that costs hundreds of millions of dollars equipment that would only come in handy if the aliens actually said you know what let's fuck with earth today even though if that happened hate to tell you but all those fancy little ar-15s and shit aren't gonna do shit but get melted by the head alien in charge wouldn't it make more sense to give the police department say a hundred million dollars less give that money to the school system after school programs, free lunch programs, physical education programs, because maybe and this is going to sound wild. So brace yourselves. Maybe if you invested in young people, they would be less likely to commit crimes, less likely to experience joblessness or being generally unequipped for the modern world. You invest now so that they don't become a problem for the police later. See, after 9-11, a lot of police departments were turned into armies. You saw this when the Ferguson protests happened. These armies are accounting for 30 or 40 percent, sometimes half of a city's budget. 
Minneapolis, where George Floyd was killed. Prime example, the Minneapolis Police Department's budget for 2019 was one hundred and ninety three million dollars. You know how much they spent on at risk youth programs? Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Does this make any sense? No, it does not make sense to give police departments this kind of money, especially since most of them operate a police culture that isn't accountable. What happens when you give somebody a lot of money and then they aren't held accountable? George Floyd is what happens. With that said, the smartest thing progressives can do is to wipe the phrase defund from all the messaging. Because conservatives and those who are firmly in the pocket of police unions are going to use the word defund as a scare tactic. It's going to be the new Obamacare versus the Affordable Care Act, where we saw people react negatively to Obamacare because the black man's name was on it versus how they responded to it being called the Affordable Care Act, even though it was the same damn bill. People, unfortunately, aren't smart enough or motivated enough to look into what defunding the police really means. It just is too easy for them to think that means lawlessness. And oh, by the way, when I say people, I mean white people, because once they are scared into thinking that defunding the police could lead to black criminality, we've seen how this movie ends. And it's a big reason the police are as out of control and as unaccountable as they are right now. So the word of the week is defund. But Democrats, y'all need to find a new word. Now, there is only one word that can be used to describe today's guest. We all grew up watching her on 227 when she played the adorable, naive, but self-assured character Brenda. We couldn't believe that she went from being Brenda to playing Shalika in Boys in the Hood. And a lot of y'all didn't know that was her name in Boys in the Hood. But y'all do remember that part where she drank all the Ice Cubes 40 and then was told, you better take your ass to the store with that. She was also Rod Tidwell's wife in Jerry Maguire. And she just played a host of other incredible roles. Most recently, Sister Knight in the incredible HBO series Watchmen, which just won a prestigious Peabody Award. Regina King been to shit for a long time, and I'm pleased to welcome this queen to the show today. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Regina King. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It is unfortunately poetic. It's good and it's bad that you're joining me today, Regina, because um, Watchmen uh, season one, it's released now on Blu-ray DVD, but your show could not be more appropriate given everything that is happening right now. Did you guys have a crystal ball and know how much uh, your art would imitate life. I mean, is is that a how's that struck you? Just knowing that this series has been basically emblematic of what we're going through right now. 
It's been something else, you know, at first just with masks and when the COVID-19 really, you know, we were aware that, look, uh, you got to wash your hands. You got to pretty much be the person in the bubble. It was kind of like a haha moment, you know, like my girlfriend uh, sent me a picture of, of me in the costume and she was like, girl, who knew this was going to be our grocery store attire? You know, we kind of laughed. And then, you know, Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd and uh, being in this powder keg moment. But this is I think this one is really been the one that uh, has really made people who are not black actually um, have empathy or be sympathetic to the pain that we, we, we're born into this you know, so we we inherit this pain. So then to be on a show that just, you know, wrapped its season with when with the lead character being someone that that we get to explore what it's like to inherit pain. You know, I've, in a lot of ways, this may sound weird, but I feel grateful in a lot of ways that I was able to be a part of a story that could be the quick cliff notes version of giving someone an insight to uh, what a pain can feel like when it, under these circumstances, if that makes any sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, you said something a moment ago that I've been kind of struggling, not struggling with, but just trying to understand as you mentioned, we've seen these incidents a, a bunch of times. And if you're somebody who's black, you've known about police brutality your whole life. But what is it about or do you have any theories or thoughts about what is it about the George Floyd murder that has resonated so differently? Because I'm having all kinds of conversations with white people, girl, that I ain't ever had. Like they calling me, checking on me. I'm just like, white people, I'm OK. But they're in actively engaging. This one seems to have struck people a little differently your thoughts as to why there are two thoughts that I have to that one, even though Ahmad was not at the hands of a police officer it was at the hands of a white uh, male and, you know, to get hit with that in January, Brianna Taylor in February and then George, I think that that compounded or that, that trifecta. And then, you know, while these things have been captured on video before, this particular time, you got to see into that officer's eyes. Whoever was recording it, you saw into his eyes and saw that he didn't give a fuck. It, it was very clear when you look in that man's eyes. Yeah, he may not have come with the intent to kill George, but he didn't give a fuck if he died right there in that moment. And, and when... I think a lot of white people were able to look that in the eyes when we've been looking that in its eyes for as long as we know, just kind of hit them differently. And again, I, I, we can't say this enough, you know, how our condolences and prayers go out to George Floyd and families like George Floyd's families. But if anything, the way his murder played out if it did open up people to want to actually um, be a part of changing the system, because look, at the end of the day, 
the only way we can change the systemic problems is to make systematic changes. And um, we, can, we can't make those systematic changes just by ourselves, just Black people alone. Um, so if, if that's what it took, um, it's unfortunate, but I hope this becomes a, a, a movement that becomes a way of life. Um, we have to live, uh, um, we need people on all sides, right? So we kind of have to change our thinking. And for me, what it's kind of opened up is that, like, I, I need to educate myself on civics and being aware of who's running in the smaller races. Cause, 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 right? Cause it's the city council members. It's, it's all of the people, district attorneys, yeah, judges. That's what the power is. Judges. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, we keep talking about Biden, Trump, Biden, Trump, you know, in November, not saying that that's not important, but equally important, if not more important, are those Senate seats, are, 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 are the people that are running for sheriff. You know, the, the people that are the prosecutors that are deciding what that charge is going to be on that officer when this happens, you know. So um, just making myself um, more aware of, of, of when to vote every year and who I'm supposed to be encouraging in whatever city every year to get out and vote. I heard that because I mean, look, when I just moved to L.A. maybe two years ago and voting in the primary, I swear I approached it like I was studying for the SAT. But you have to. You have to. Yeah. I want to make sure I knew every race, every person, who the prosecutor was, all of that district attorney. It's so much information. Not everybody is going to be able to or really take the time to dig deep like that and, and educate themselves like that. So in my mind, I'm kind of like, okay, how can I create little small cliff notes versions for w whenever uh, the state or is coming up on a local election and I'm not um, sending out uh, messages on social media the day of, you know, like I need to start before. So that, that's where I, I've kind of recognized throughout all of this pain recently is that, that that's why I think my strength lies. Uh, one more question about Watchmen before we uh, move on to One Night in Miami, your film directorial uh, debut. Uh, and by the way, uh, thank you for forcing people to go to Google and look up the 1921 massacre. <laughs> thank you, because <laughs> they realized uh, because of Watchmen that this actually happened. But um, is this really the end for for Watchmen? I know it was always meant to be limited. You know, look, at the end of the day, everybody likes to go out on top. You know, it would be it would be terrible to come back and and not be able to follow up with storytelling that's as uh, equally impactful um but I, I feel like if there was a possibility damon lindelof could do it and i feel like more than likely if he did do it it would not be what anyone is expecting a second season to be Okay, we'll take that nibble and, and run away with it. <laughs> okay. Um, so as I mentioned, I mean, you're making your film directorial debut. And I think it's important that people understand the, the, the distinction, because you've directed a lot. You, I mean, you have a very expansive catalog uh, with def different TV episodes that you've done. I mean, you've 
directed an episode of one of my favorite shows, Insecure. Um, just a ton of stuff that has been on your resume. But um, how is it or how does it feel to be making this directorial debut for this project and give us a little bit of what One Night in Miami is about? It's terrifying, terrifying <laughs> and gratifying at the same time, you know? Um, it is One Night in Miami is about the night um, that Cassius Clay, um, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, and Malcolm X spent together after he became the world champion um, after his first uh, title bout with us against Sonny Liston. And fortunately and unfortunately, uh, the, the discussions that these men are having are timeless. So we're at a place now in our lives where a lot of us wish we had leaders like that again. Um, no diss to anyone who feels like they're a leader right now. Um, I, I think also um, leader is, you know, different for each individual you know, who they deem uh, as a leader. Um, but it is just this powerful um, moment in time that I felt um, we, we also hold these men up like deities almost, you know, like they're untouchable, but they, they were men and Jim Brown is still alive. They, they are actual men. They're human beings and, and they cry and they hurt just like we do. And it just was when I uh, read the play, when I read the script, I just thought Kemp Powers did such an amazing job. And I received it almost as if it was like a love letter to the black man in America. And I wanted to be a part of that. And like you said, a timeless message. Yeah, yeah. I threw my hat in the ring and uh, they said, all right, we'll let you let you run with it. Three Emmys, a Golden Globe and an Oscar. I think that's the, the total that you have. Right. And so because, you know, all the black people were like, so, you know, we've been new that Regina King was a shit. Right? <laughs> I'm glad you white people figured it out. They, OK, glad you, you, you finally joined the party. But what did it feel like? to suddenly be just so celebrated, you know, entertainer of the year. I think entertainment weekly named you. What did that feel like? I guess I'm still figuring it out. What it feels like. I mean, it feels like me, you know, it's part of, I've been doing this, Jamal, I've been doing this for so long and, um, being like, as you said, been getting props from the fam, you know, for so long, um, that it just felt like, I guess, as you can see, I'm processing this as you're asking me. Um, it feels like great currency to have to take to the next level, to, to, to all of the other things that I'd like to do, to, to take, to, to put position, um, to, that it puts me in the position to create opportunity and not just talk about what I want to do. Uh, so yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, I don't know if you suffer from the, any of this at all, because I've heard other highly successful people talk about it, but a little bit of imposter syndrome, as they call it, where you're just like, is this really, is this, am I really supposed to be in this room? Am I really supposed to be the one getting these Emmys, getting this Oscar? Did you go through anything like that? No, 
<laughs> and you're like, nah, I, I was here for it. No, I feel like I put the work in, you know, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do feel like I deserve a seat at the table and I do feel like uh, more people like me at the table, they'll have to move that table out and the table has to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, and recognize that, you know, all of these different dishes on the table is what makes this dinner interesting. This is the reason it's the point, right? Um, so yeah, no, I didn't feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm, no, no, I, I, I deserve to be here. So everybody's heard rumors that the boondocks is coming back. Yes. <laughs> yes. We've all heard those rumors and I swear every day, I can't tell you in a given week, how many times I think, I think to myself, Damn, this would be a perfect Boondocks episode. Girl, right y'all got lots of material. That's for sure. Lots, lots, lots of material. So, what can you tell us about whether or not that comeback is real or is it our imagination? Um, no, it is not your imagination. It is something that is definitely beyond just the conversation right now. Um, I have not started recording anything yet. My understanding is that scripts are still being written. Um, I just really, you know, just like Watchmen, Boondocks is a, a hard thing to come back to, you know, as we all saw with the last season of Boondocks, a lot of people, you know, felt like it just wasn't quite the same, you know, and that is a result of a lot of things. So I, I hope that, um, uh, in coming back, uh, boondocks will be able to um not necessarily just pick up where it left off but um still um be a a, a show that it still feels current you know because it's really hard to do like shows like south like south park is one of those shows that it's easier for them to do that just because of the way the animation is you know it's kind of like the cut and paste the mouths talk like that and so, so it doesn't really require actual all of the steps, the uh, animatics and all of these different things that are required when you're doing animation or anime. Um, so the, the, one of the things when you're a show like Boondocks, you problem you may run into is something that might be relevant when you're recording that show, you know, 2020. And by the time it actually comes out, 2022 it's you know might have lost a little bit of this theme we, we got lucky with those seasons that that social commentary kept itself going i have a feeling that it will it, it might be the same now as far as social commentary yeah y'all were uh, in many ways ahead of the curve on r kelly oh, I, know. <laughs> I still had that martin luther king uh, episode it still it still is pristine it, it held up yeah. quite well now of course once you do resume boondocks it'll be a lot different because john witherspoon is no longer um here saw a lot of fans calling for jennifer lewis to come in and maybe play a role what can you tell us about what has happened um, with the role of granddad or I don't know yet. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. That's something that I'm concerned about because there is John Witherspoon is irreplaceable. So, you know, what do you do with that? So it's something that, that I'm just really curious to see 
how um, Aaron and the writers and, and producers handle that. I have no idea. I did. Someone did tell me um, that about uh, Jennifer Lewis and I love Jennifer. That that's, that's just a whole different way to go. So I don't know that if that's what they're talking about. Um, this is one of those uh, shows where I am just an actor for hire. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. The only thing I can say is, is there is no one like Spoons and there will never, ever be. Is it weird for you um, because you've spent so much time um, now directing? Does it feel odd when you go back to the actor part of it where do you have to stop yourself from wanting to get involved and wanting to kind of take over? <laughs> uh, actually, luckily I don't. My acting experience informs my, my, me as a director and my directing experience, I think definitely helped me as an actor, you know, um, the first time I went off to direct something, when I got back to work as an actor, I was, as soon as I was working with the director, I was like, okay, just tell me where you want me. You know, I, you want me over here? Oh, I, I, you got it. Because you just, once you put on that, the, the, the director hat and you realize all of the responsibility that, that lands on you, uh, when you realize just how much the director is involved with things before you hit that set or before you hit that rehearsal, um, you have a newfound respect, at least for me. It's what it was. So I really, really try hard to um, keep those hats separate. Now, I mean, I'm still the actor that I am. So I, I do have my questions, you know, sometimes a director might, have a suggestion that I go, you, are you really want to do that? Okay, we'll try it. And nowadays, a lot of times we'll try it and the director will say, yeah, yeah, you were right. Let, let, let's keep it the other way. So um, I, I do feel having become a director, I'm, I'm, I'm more clear as an actor about things that won't work. Well, uh, look, I know you um, are on borrowed time here, so I'll get to a game I like to play with all of my guests. Okay. <laughs> and you're so lucky to be the next contestant on This or That. I give you two choices. You got to pick one. <sighs> and yeah, I know oh, you love these games. Oh, Come my on. God. And I am such a control enthusiast, so the having <laughs> to have to pick one. Who is tough? Mm -hmm. Girl, let me... Huh, okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Take another sip of the dragon fruit margarita. Um, mm. All right. Jordan or LeBron? LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> you picked LeBron. I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. <laughs> I, you know, my heart was beating fast. Like, darn. Okay. <laughs> uh, Isha or Shalika? Was I Shalika? You were Shalika. You know what? This is the thing that's so funny. Okay. <laughs> I forget all the time the name of the character you played in Boys in the Hood because they never say her name. Right. I mean, maybe I'm mistaken about this, but I, I, I never hear it the whole movie. Right. I knew you were obviously Isha Poetic Justice, everybody, because Janet Jackson said it, Isha, you know, whatever. But I bet you most people do not know that your name in Boys in the, in the Hood was Shalika. 
Yes. And I, and, and I forget until someone says it. And I think that that was, um, you know, rest in peace, rest in power, J.S. John Singleton. I think the reason why he made sure that she had a name is for actors. When you play guy in the store, girl in the car, that doesn't look so great on the resume. But when the, the character actually has a name, that holds a little more weight. So I think that that was John's um, respect for the actor uh, by doing it. I mean, it wasn't a minor role. It wasn't like you were a cameo, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but still, <laughs> like, still, to your point that no one knows her name, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you got to pick one. <laughs> uh, I guess Issa. Yeah, all right. I, I don't know which one of them could kill a 40 faster, but I'm going to go with Shalika in that category. <laughs> but Issa but probably uh, come up with something slick to make it look like she won that race. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. I know how you feel about uh, Marla Gibbs. So Florence or Mary? Oh. <sighs> yes, I did this to you. <laughs> mm, that That's some bullshit right there. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> if I have to play it honest, it would be Florence. Gotta be. Yeah. Florence was the queen of shade before we knew what shade, shade was. was. Man. Right? <laughs> okay. Before we knew what shade was. But, 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 but Mary had the tea. That is true. That is very true. She did have before the tea. We knew Florence what the tea had the shade. <laughs> before we knew what yeah. tea was. Or oh, wait, or did Pearl have it? Because Pearl had Pearl. The well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In in the play 227, when Mary and Rose would be sitting out on the stoop, um, how the, the, that whole gossipy thing would go, Mary would look to the left, look to the right, and kind of do the what Kim Wayans, I don't mean to be gossipish. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, we just talked about him a moment ago, uh, John Witherspoon. So Pops and Friday, uh, Mr. Jackson and Boomerang. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jackson and Boomerang, man. Yeah, you got to coordinate. Come on. Yeah. With the mushroom us, interior. Did you know your father got a mushroom belt? <laughs> timeless. Timeless. All right. And finally, because I know this artist is near and dear to your heart. When Doves Cry or Let's Go Crazy? Mm. I'm going over the lyrics of both of them in my head. <sighs> Probably when doves cry. Ah, uh, when doves cry. Okay. You thought I was going to say, let's go crazy. I did. Yeah. Because, um, and maybe it's just because what I'm feeling now and everything that's going on, when doves cry just has, just the sentiment, I think, is a little matching more where I am right now. Gotcha. So that's probably why. You, you could probably ask me this same question a year from now or have asked me six months ago may have said, said let's go crazy what well, a beauty of prince is he's written a song for literally every mood uh real quick what's your go-to uh prince album then oh you know it, it's funny probably under the cherry moon mm. just because that album has so many different types of songs 
I'm going to go with Under the Cherry Moon, and I'm going to stick with that for 500, Jamel. <laughs> All right. Uh, the 500 has been granted of air dollars. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, Regina, I know you got to get out of here. Thank you so much you. Uh, for spending this time with me. It's been a long time coming. And I have to tell you, everybody, I don't know if you get this a lot, but um, I think we cousins somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, people say that people think we look alike. Yes, that's the best compliment ever. <laughs> I will always take it like that, too. You know, I'm gonna receive that. Thank you, Regina, cousin. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, same to you. Thank you, Jamal. Uh, well, much success with everything that you do. Um, and I can't wait to see one night in Miami as a, as a sports fan, a sports journalist. That's gonna be a hell of a movie, um, I'm sure. Um, but anyway. You guys who are listening, Regina's out of here. Y'all know what's coming up next. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Dear white people, and I don't mean the Netflix show. I mean actual white people. I don't know if your real or imaginary black friends have told you this, but Lord Jesus, y'all are wearing us out. Y'all calling us, telling us you're sorry, wanting an entire breakdown of this country's nasty racial history over text, quoting Kendrick Lamar lyrics, the ones that don't involve the word nigga, of course, and just doing the absolute most to try to make up for 400 years of racial oppression in 12 minutes. Please relax because fuck it. I'm bothered because y'all have just worn me smooth out. Shit, I'm starting to wonder if it was better when y'all went so woke. We just need y'all to chill and just do your job. Don't be racist. Don't enable racism. Don't be silent about racism. What we don't need is say Democratic leadership wearing kente cloth as they unveil their proposal for sweeping police reform. Did y'all see that shit? Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer looking like they just copped all the Kwanzaa merch that was in the clearance bin. That shit was crazy. In fairness, the Congressional Black Caucus apparently suggested that they do this to show leadership and solidarity, which only caused me to wonder who the hell had extra kente cloth just laying around in their congressional office. I mean, was it with the Christmas decorations? Was it next to the old potluck dishes? And if somebody didn't have it on standby, who the hell had the job of going out and finding some kente cloth in Washington, D.C.? What liquor store had the kente cloth? What dollar store had the kente cloth? What shea butter conglomerate did they go to for the kente cloth? These are the questions that really need answering. But in general, white folks, I get it. Some of y'all are new to this ally game and y'all don't know whether y'all should go out and buy some fubu, read the autobiography of Malcolm X, or watch Precious. You just don't know. You're well-intentioned, but you're misguided. Look, white people, we're not asking you to culturally appropriate in the name of togetherness. We just want y'all to be easy and work actively against racism. That's it. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent, and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Erica Clark, and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. <laughs>